0: Our second lesson today is again from the second chapter of John's Gospel, following the story of the wedding at Cana. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written... Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word Jesus had spoken. When he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name because they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to testify about anyone for he himself knew what was in everyone. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts and minds be acceptable to you. Speak, Lord, for your people are listening. Amen. Many years ago, I was at a conference with other church pastors, and we'd been there a couple of days, and we all went out to dinner. And after dinner, we were all just sitting around talking, and the conversation kind of devolved into, let me tell you the worst thing that's ever happened to me in the church. I want you to know I did not have a story, and that is not a challenge. I want to keep it to where I don't have a story. But there was one woman there who was so quiet, you know, just one of those people who just seemed serene at all times. And she shares this, I don't remember what it was, this terrible story. Like someone in her congregation had said something to her that was so very hurtful. And I was shocked. And I said, but Christine, didn't you get angry? Didn't you tell them this, this, and this? Didn't you make sure other people knew And she just sat there quietly and then she said, "Mm, you know, Tara, Jesus only pulled out the whip once and I'm saving mine for just the right time, which made me think she's A, a savage and B, much deeper than I am. This is the story where Jesus pulls out the whip. This story is found in all of the gospels. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it comes at the end of the gospel story. But John has it here for a couple of reasons. One is because John is writing much later than those other gospel writers. He's living in a community who has told the story of Jesus Christ over and over again. He knows how it ends. And so he tells this story because while this is what happened in the temple, he also wants to point out that Jesus who is God, stood in the temple and no one even recognized who or what he was. For John, it's the ultimate irony looking back, that God was in the temple, was standing there, and no one even noticed. There's also some grief in this text. That Psalm number 69 that I read that is also quoted in this passage. Zeal for your house will consume me. It is foreshadowing, yes, to the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But what's actually happening in the story is this. Faithful Jews come from all over the Roman Empire at Passover to come to the temple and worship. They come from miles around, hundreds of miles. They travel in. Everyone is there. It's their Easter Yes, it's the celebration. But they're also told while, we're, while they are there under Mosaic law that they should give a sacrifice. Now, you don't want to carry your sacrificial animals however many miles you have to trudge to get to the empire so you can buy them when you get there, right outside of the temple court, whatever it is that you want. They have sheep and cows, we're told in the story, in doves. So what starts out as an act of worship, a desire to worship God, becomes this place where there are all these animals milling about. And that leads us to the second problem. You have to buy those animals. But at that time in the Roman Empire, every coin had an image of the Caesar on it. The second commandment interpreted at that time in part, meant there should be no graven images. So you can't bring... Roman coins into the temple. So we need money changers. People outside who can switch out your Roman coin, give you what you need in order to buy your animal, and then finally go inside and sacrifice and worship God. The faithful people at the Passover are not doing anything wrong. They are doing what their tradition tells them. They are trying to be faithful. And so... When Jesus comes into this place, what he realizes is that they may have a desire to worship God, but instead there's all this commerce that has to happen before you can ever get inside and offer your worship to God. The intention is good. The execution is such that by the time you make it in there, you're not feeling very worshipful, I would imagine. In addition to that, when the Jews say, who gives you the authority to do this? That's what they mean when they say, give us a sign as to why you should do this, the driving out of the animals, the overturning of the tables. Jesus says, tear down this temple, and in three days I'll raise it again. Now, at this time, Herod had been building the second temple for 46 years, And if you thought Solomon's temple was amazing, Herod was going to make this one even better. So you come to worship and instead you're greeted with all of this lavishness and the building project that will never end. And there stands God himself and no one even notices. No one even notices. And Jesus' frustration gets the better of him. And he drives them all out because he knows that God is in the world in a new way and that all of those sacrifices aren't needed. But that's what their tradition told them. That's why one of the things I love about our reform tradition is that we constantly look at what we are doing and how we are worshiping to make sure that we aren't distracting from the worship of Almighty God. But every church has traditions. When I went to seminary, my grandfather decided he was going to tell me everything I needed to know about running a church. He had been a deacon since he got home from the Second World War in their small missionary Baptist church. He had been head of the deacon board since he was 40. He and I were talking when he was well into his 90s. And some of the advice advice he gave me is a little suspect. For instance, he told me if I ever had a building campaign that this is what I should do, that I should set aside two months and I should have everyone come talk to me about what they thought the building campaign should be. And I should take lots of notes about everything they say and then I should do whatever I thought was right. It's like, are you trying to get me fired? But that's what had worked in his tradition. This is also the same person who was an old soldier to the inn and he told me, you never leave a church when they're in conflict because you don't leave in the middle of the war. You wait and get through it. But the thing that he didn't tell me, but that he showed me every day of his life, was that you worship God with every bit of who you are. That if you were a follower of Jesus Christ, you worshiped in your personal life, and you worshiped as a community. If you were able to move your body, you got to the church. And he walked through those doors, him and my grandmother, every week. They came because they knew that in the words of Jesus Christ was a word of hope. In the words of Jesus Christ is a ray of light in our dark world. In the words of Jesus Christ, they could find comfort. And so Sunday after Sunday, day after day, he would worship and offer his prayers and direct his life towards God. The thing he taught me that he didn't say was that worship was never about me. It was never about the hymns I liked or if I got anything out of the sermon, because you're always going to be disappointed at some point or another if that's your criteria. But that he had felt the saving grace of Jesus Christ and he came back to the scene of the miracle to be reminded that Christ is in our midst, day in and day out, good days and bad, light or dark, snow or rain. That's the miracle that he gave me. That's what Jesus Christ is asking We don't need a church that has all the right things, that has all the commerce, that has all the sacrifices that you should make. We just need a church that is alive to the person of Jesus Christ. Harriet knows this. She's been doing it for a very long time. And I look forward to being in this place as we continue to worship God together for all the days of our lives. Amen.